To new persuasive words. I'm Scott Jones, and I'm Bill Bohr. And Bill, we are we're in the new church year already. Yes, and we are in Christmas tide on the cusp of the secular New Year, which yes. will be the secular, which will be the occasion of much debauchery all around the world. Yes, yes, reliving the Roman paganism. Exactly. If you want to know what Bill and I think on a host of issues, from Tiger Woods to Bitcoin to Oh geez, Every, I mean everything in between. Yes. Go to Facebook Live and look at the video. The first couple of minutes, where we warmed up. We really. Or if you have a life, just continue to do what you're doing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. No. Exactly. The sound is better. Yes. On. It is. It is. And so this is going to be our last podcast for 2017. And yes. Our kind of we're already transitioning in our heads because the Christmas, the Christian New Year has begun. We are already thinking about. 2018. We are. We're forward thinking. We are. Yeah. Well, the fact it's going to happen in a couple of days doesn't make it that forward, but. Well, I mean, it's still forward, technically. Still forward. There I mean, we it's go. Still, yeah. it's no, not, we're not doing it on January on, we're 2nd. On, you know, my favorite phrase we are on the cutting edge. You'd uh, hate that phrase. I do. I was being facetious. <laughs> I don't hate Wait that. Wait a minute. I, do I have to start? We got a, we got a comment. Someone asked if I was, someone literally asked, I said something really smart, Alec, and they said they have to ask me if I was. Being tongue-in-cheek. Oh, yeah. Do I need to start spelling Maybe. my sarcasm out? That was Bobby Grow, our dear friend from California. We don't even know him. Why did you call him a dear friend? Oh, he, we feel like we know him. <laughs> it's true. We do. All right. It's not that we don't like you, Bobby, but he, we, I think he jumped the dear friend part a little bit. So send us a vieta. Via we'll, we'll examine it, and we'll see if you can make the dear friend as opposed to the dear leader category. <laughs> dear leader. <laughs> Who shoots 74. Um, in a round of golf, according, did you see, to, according uh, to Lindsey Graham. <laughs> according to Leslie Graham. And uh, did you see Orrin Hatch sarcastically was named the Utahian of the year? Yeah, yeah, and he yeah. thanked them for it. He yeah. Didn't read it. yeah, no emojis. It was not he, cynical. You know, uh, someone leaked that there are multiple uh, members of Congress who are on uh, anti-Alzheimer's medicine. Okay, my vote is... Orrin Hatch is not the same guy he used to be. So I think I, if I had to vote who's on anti-Alzheimer's medicine, I would say Orrin Hatch would be. And Mitt Romney might run for that seat. He should. He should. Yeah. Yeah, he's a, Orrin Hatch has become a, a remarkable disappointment. At any rate. Well, let's just add him to the list. <laughs> well, who's not these days? I mean, That's right. But we're being positive for 2018. Positive, yeah. Well, see, I'm still all right. Let me just, wait a minute. Wait a minute. There, I just pushed 2017 behind me. Get thee behind me. I'll tell you who's not disappointed me. Howard Stern. Still going strong. Get thee behind me, 217. All right, go ahead now. Let's do this. Let's, let's jump <laughs> he, in. Yeah, they were replaying this best interviews of the year, and they play, replayed the one with Rachel um, Maddow. Maddow. And he goes, well, she said, actually, it's Maddow, it, it's Maddow like shadow. I'm, he's like, I pronounce it like Maddow. He goes, you do? <laughs> it's like indignant. Like they, it was, it was a pretty great interview, though. I mean, like. She's great. Yeah, and she is a huge fan, and like. She's like, I, this is one of the only media outlets I really enjoy doing. And, and it's funny, too, because they talked a lot about Donald Trump's interviews. And she's like, you know, Trump, like, when he was on your show, he he has this off-the-cuff, impulsive kind of thing. But when he was, I get the sense that he was thinking about it. Like, like he, w- he would come in with all these prepared things like, Howard, you know, 
Hollywood actresses, they say they're nines and tens. Most of them are really sixes, maybe seven. I can find waitresses in New York that are real tens. And like he would, that was his fortune cookie wizard. And he said like that, that Trump would call him like at like, you know, later in the week when he would be on the show and say like, um, was I the best guest? Was I really like mirror, mirror on the wall? Was I the fairest of the? And he would tell him, yes, you were. And he said in many ways he was an ideal guest because he would just be, he had no shame. He would say these crazy things. So there you go. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe Howard Stern could be Secretary of State or Attorney General or Vice President. Uh, what I want, that's interesting. I, I, what would I want? Howard wanted to be a Supreme Court judge, like, because he's like, I'm already a judge. America's got talent. I could be Justice Stern. Judge uh, you Stern. know what? Given some of the judicial nominees that we're going, Howard Stern would already be at the top of the class of many of these people. Yeah. Well, there you go. There we go. Anyway, but that's get thee behind me, 2017. Exactly. Let's jump into 2018. So, Bill, here we go. You wanted we we came we landed on. How did you phrase it in your text message to me? Let me. Well, I guess what I can uh, call. I can recall. We could be like. Did you? Uh, well, you know, you were you were there as a doctoral student. We could be like James Charlesworth at Princeton, who quoted himself in lectures. Oh, <laughs> as Charlesworth once said, as Bohr once said, exactly. Uh, so it is, you said, how about a rhetoric reboot for 2018? How to change tone for a new year? Or maybe we'll call it a new tone for a new year. Yeah, there we go. So I was, I was driving across Pennsylvania, reflecting, being contemplative. We were in different area codes. Yes, we were. When you sent that. I was. So how do we, how, you know, because I do think, you know, we are people of the light, not of darkness. Speak for yourself. Okay. All right. All right. Can I speak for like like Jesus said it? Can I do that? Can I speak for the people who read Jesus? Or? You can speak for those who claim to be followers of Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> you have to say it that way. Exactly. See, I don't know. I, I spent more time among the evangelical heartland than you did, but that was a little, how you how you emphasize Jesus. It was yeah, really I just, important. It's I, it's I'm channeling it. <laughs> well. No, but how do we try to I think I think we need to do something different. I do. I mean, you know, one of the things, you know, whether it's in social media or whatever, I um, I just feel that there's a there is um this propensity among um Christians who we would be more in sympathy with and even of ourselves to we've all been caught into this kind of vortex of negativity if you would. And that the the level of disdain, the level of vitriol is very high, and there are things that we need to be discussed about. There's things we need to be outspoken about. There may even be things we need to take to the street about. But we can't. I'm not taking the street at anything in weather like today. <laughs> I mean, I barely walk my dogs. So I like causes that happen. And if you want me involved, causes that, like, late April to, like, you know, well, with global warming, let's stretch it to early November right now but with okay. climate change. But after that, I'm not reliable. <laughs> I don't even know what to say to that. <laughs> say I'm literally a fair weather friend or activist. All right. I'm a fair weather sympathizer. I mean, like, if it's, no, I'll 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 be a slacktivist. You want me to tweet things? Like, you know, I'll I'll reshare. You keep the home fires going. Exactly. While I'll, we're in the street, I, I, I will tweet the hell out of it. All right. Well, that's that's good to know. But it kind of reminds me. P.J. O'Rourke wrote something for uh, this is probably at least 10 years ago for the Rolling Stones, uh, Rolling Stone magazine. And uh, it was one of the, when they were protesting the, uh, you know, when the when the uh, 20, what do they call it, the Global 20, the big um, 
Economic group, I forget what they just call that. The G20. G20, yeah. It's exactly what I said it was called, right. any rate, and there was this woman, a young girl, who was protesting something, and PJ at work went up to her and said, well, what, what are you, why are you protesting that? She goes, because it hurts third world people. He goes, well, actually, that policy you're protesting actually helps. And he kind of explained to her why it does help. And so she goes, oh. So she dropped her sign. And then joined another group and picked up a different sign. <laughs> so that would be, that person is like your proxy. So there's people out there who will protest anything, regardless of the weather. And you can maybe even, yeah, they, they I, could, I that mean, could be your avatar. I'm sympathetic to a wide range of, although I, I was involved in the protest in the second Iraq war. That's where this policy formed, because that was cold as hell in those protests. And I was just done. I mean, like, I was just like, look. I was very against the war, and I was very. I mean, I I, I like to protest, I like the protesters, but I'm like, man, why do we go to war in winter? Well, the last time I was at a protest, there was this. Uh, I was I was standing. We were doing some gun violence things in Delaware County in Pennsylvania, and uh, I was I was standing beside this this ancient nun, but she had more energy than all of us, and she uh, you know, she was uh, she you know was hearkening. I mean, she was there probably with the Berrigan brothers, and anyway, she was uh, and she was standing beside me. She goes. Wouldn't it be great if we got arrested today? And I go, no, not not really, sister. Not not for this. <laughs> I want to take a brief moment to ask you a quick question. Do you like this podcast? Do you enjoy it? Do you look forward to listening to it while you do a morning, afternoon, or evening routine, or while you're exercising, or while you're caught frustrated in traffic? Do you tune into it because of the conversations you find here? If the answer to the aforementioned questions is yes, or even just a solid maybe, would you do something for me? Would you consider becoming a Patreon sponsor of the podcast for just five bucks a month? Or more, it's for a good cause. You can help this podcast and one of the many others I do keep going to be a patron through Patreon of this, which I think is an art form you're enjoying and will continue to enjoy. Again, any contribution is welcome, but for five bucks a month, you will get a shout out on the thank you roll call, which begins right now. Thank you, David and Winona Babico, Michael Butera, Peter Stegenwald, Samantha Blythe, Sari Graham, Jordan and Danny Morseberger, Josh Redder, Ellis Brazil, David Zoll, Jonathan Butrin, Ben DeHart, Charlotte Donlin, Stephen Rowe, Andrew Stravitz, Jim Kress, and Liam O'Brien. If you want to join these patrons through Patreon, just go to patreon.com forward slash Scott Kent Jones. Thanks again for listening, and now back to the show. By the way, Kenneth Tanner has an interesting comment. from This comes to us from Facebook Live. As a pastor, I pledge to help my people contemplate the face of Jesus Christ and not the fa- face of Caesar. We have too many pastors focused on Caesar. And I've actually heard Ken talk about this on both sides. He thinks that like this is not just a, a left or on all sides, that the the that there's something about the current administration that has, he thinks, made pastors lose their way mm. in the sense of either reacting against or feeling the need to defend right. in a way that is beyond their role as citizen or something and, and yeah. bleeding into their office. And I, I think there's probably something. That's good. That. I mean, if you bend the knee, it's idolatry. If you hate, it's sin. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a very good point. Thank you, Ken. And if you take a knee, that's still okay, right? To take a knee. It's take a knee if you want to run out the clock. Yeah, exactly. Take a knee. I'm going to take a knee. <laughs> so, yeah. So there we go. So we're talking a new new kind of sense of rhetoric so what do you think? What, what a new tone, Bill? Well, I think Ken actually kind of 
you know, kicked off a good idea. In other words, there's a sense where you have to remember not if you're not only as a pastor what your office is, but you have to remember as a Christian what your first obligations are. And you know, Jesus, the new commandment is we have to love as He loved. Now. There are times where you speak the truth, but you can, you're never allowed to speak the truth without love. In other words, um, if you are if you are supporting Donald Trump blindly, then you know you will, you might as well go ahead and get the six 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 brand on your head. Because I like, would get the mark of the beast in a second if it was a barcode. Like if people were like, "Hey, you, hey, you were a little too quickly." <laughs> I I would get the I would get a barcode in we a just, second. We, we just lost all our pre millennial listeners. Well, that's fine. I mean, <laughs> these I'll tell you, these AirPods are amazing. My got these AirPods. I will rave about these. These are the best headphones ever. Let me tell you, everybody out there, and sorry, they were sold out. My wife was an early Christmas shopper. So sorry if you're like Jason Michelli, try to get them from your spouse and couldn't get them. Sorry. But let me tell you, they live up to it. And the reviews that offer right. anything negative are right, those lies. Are, those these are you, amazing. Those of you who are keeping score at home, we have learned about Scott Jones that one, he won't protest when the weather's bad. And two, that he'll be first in line to take the mark of the beast. If I could just go and like, you scan my I, I don't need a credit card or anything you just scan my face and pay for my groceries sign me up you've been left behind that's there's no such thing as the rapture so it's See, well, that's, that's like something i would say well i just think exegetically it's not no, I, I agree with you but it's just you if just, luther augustine aquinas you just uh, if you, they all agreed on it calvin wesley if they all agreed on it, it, it that's like that's like when i sometimes i would tell my students okay uh, uh find a verse that the word rapture is mentioned and of course they can't just like where i say does god want you to have a good self-image they go yeah so we're, we're in the bible is to teach that so, you know, those are one of those kind of modern ideas that just don't quite make it to the scriptures. I don't think God cares whether I have these AirPods, but, AirPods, but I do. <laughs> and I love them. <laughs> so, anyway, so uh, if you're trying to think about how to have better rhetoric for 2018, disavow everything you've heard so far on this podcast. Exactly. <laughs> it's not, now we're going to really there, start. We're 13 nothing, minutes in. There's nothing edifying yet. But, okay. well, 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 we did. Ken's idea was edifying, I think. Oh, Ken's idea was outstanding. Yeah, yes. Uh, I'd say I'd say a couple things. Um, so I'll just I could just sit and quote randomly from How to Think, Alan Jacobs. <laughs> no, we, no, we actually have talked about this. this. is a very good book, and and we it's important that I think it's it's a very timely book as well. The book is fantastic. I mean, he like I mean, it's Baylor University. Yeah, and he's a great guy, and it just. Um, yeah, I mean, okay, I've just opened one of the pages I marked. In fact, when I did this interview, I had all these slips of paper, and I rearranged a few of them before you came over. I was rereading some sections. So some of these, I was like, oh, I'll just move this piece of paper over here. <laughs> but he talks about in the beginning, uh, well, he talks about um, Kahneman's thinking fast and slow, and, and this, you know, which is pretty, we've talked about in the podcast, right. but it's this, and, and, you know, you have thinking one, you know, thought one, if I say what's, you know, four times four, you're going to say 16. That's just like instinctual. But right. if I said what's 982 times 684, then you're going to have to start thinking right. or, you know, or, or, you know, if I asked you something complex about historiography, you know, you, you wouldn't have an instinctual it's thing. It's not like asking me what happened in 1066. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so he thinks that, you know, it's funny because he puts Kahneman here, which is sort of like, this is, um, a bleaker kind of thing. Um, Economist, after all, Economist's a freaking brilliant guy, right? He and Tavorsky or whatever, like they got a Nobel Prize. Like I, I, out of their field, I think it was almost in economics or something. Like, and they were both psychologists. Um, but as Kahneman continues, the news gets worse. A considerable part of our thinking apparatus, the part that generates our immediate intuitions, quote, is not really educable, <laughs> except for some effects that I attribute mostly to my to age. 
My intuitive thinking is just as prone to overconfidence, extreme predictions, and the planning fallacy as it was before I made a study of these issues. <laughs> this is not encouraging. So, and, and, and Jacobs thinks that it's perhaps it's presumptuous of me to think that, you know, I can improve on this, but he thinks like thing two, like, you know, thinking in the second mode, the slower mode, he's like, you know, actually, and maybe even the first one, he, he thinks actually we can change our habits and, and that, you know, if we, through things like community, affections, other things, we actually can maybe move our intuitions a little bit. And, and we actually, I mean, we need to live with our sort of fast thinking. And he actually elsewhere in the book talks about like, if somebody who looks like a shady character in disheveled clothing, clothing calls to you from across the way, you're probably not going to approach them. And that's probably that, you know, a, a good initial reaction, you know, unless you're, yeah. unless you're Mother Teresa, uh, in Calcutta, where you know, them. <laughs> but, but then he says, you know, he actually talks about this. I think this one was on Invisibilia. This woman who has no, um, who doesn't have that kind of screening fear factor. Mm -hmm. And somebody like said, Hey, come over here. And they almost knifed her. This is a real woman at Washington Post. They, they, I forget what they call her, SM or something. They, mm. But she actually has this disorder where she doesn't have those, right. those things. She almost has died a few times in instances like that. Cause she isn't. So, but the question is like, which of our prejudgments are actually true and which are not? And how do we actually learn to, over time, develop something like better habits? Mm. Yeah. And, and, and I think this is a moment that really calls for that kind of, of, of getting to second level thinking. Yeah, it's funny. He tells this other story about this guy who invented base camp. Do you know this base camp? It's like, um, it's basically like a, uh, organizational software which does emails, task lists. Oh, okay. It's, it's yeah. very popular. Yeah. And this guy who found it was at a TED talk. And in the first five minutes, he thought, this guy's totally wrong, totally wrong. And he, he, as soon as the talk was over, he goes up to the guy at the TED conference and he's totally ready. He's like, oh, let me tell you what's wrong. And the guy just said, okay. Just give it five minutes. And he stopped and gave it five minutes. And he realized, shoot, I, like, I didn't even listen to anything he said. After mm. And he said, like, this, you know, we go into refute mode. Right. And he's like, I was just in refute mode. And I didn't hear, after the intro to his talk, I didn't hear anything else he said. I was just building a case. Right. Building a case. Building a case. And, I mean, this is sort of what Jacobs is up to in this book, you know, how to think with the subtitle. I like this. It's um, a survival guide for a world at odds. Which increasingly feels like what the world is like, yeah, right? Everybody's, yeah. But I think those things, I mean, he has, he has tons of, uh, interesting suggestions for how we might think better. Now, actually, I'm sort of begging the question of rhetoric because I think like maybe the strategy isn't a new tone. It's a new way of thinking, which I guess would lead to. Yeah. Or a new way of, or changes. a new way of listening. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's even important. You know, one I um, again learning how to do effective listening. I was a psychology undergraduate major, and it was probably. I mean, there were a number of basic skills, and I was able to take a lot of kind of just really practical counseling techniques as an undergraduate. They let me do that, and I, I think that might be still one of the best ones. You know, it's interesting. I have to recheck myself sometimes during the podcast because, you know, one, I want to be ready for the next thing to keep a thing going. But sometimes I, I have to say, wait a minute, no, I need to listen to exact, I need to listen to what you're saying. It's, it's not out of, you know, obviously it's not of animosity or competition or I want to, you know, I want to debate with you, but it's a natural tendency not to listen, you know, any of, I mean, I, but what I, were you saying? <laughs> <laughs> I was looking at the Facebook. Any, any of you have four-year-olds, I can still remember, like I was, you know, of course you can't listen to every word a four-year-old says or your head will explode. I can still remember one time I was doing something, I was listening, go back for, and my four-year-old, literally Peter took my head and moved it and said, I'm talking, 
<laughs> I want to say that's all you do right now, but uh, but no, I think it is. I mean, are we actually really listening to what's being said to us, <clears throat> so that if we are going to respond, at least there could be precision. I think it also checks, like you know, I mean, the primal or what he calls the first thinking. The primal thinking is. It's a survival. It's a fight, flight. You know, it's and, and if we didn't have that, the world would. He thinks the world wouldn't move, right? Like I mean, no, people or, couldn't drive. People could. I mean, no, the saber, so the much, saber tigers would have won. Yeah, no, there's yeah. so much of our lives that actually, especially in a complex world, where we we just like we can't think about everything in the deliberate sense, or just nothing would happen. You know, it's it's funny. I mean, today I was driving around perfect strangers at 75 miles an hour. You know, and, and survived. You know, it's kind of, you know, you stop and think about that. It, it and is, the Pennsylvania Turnpike, with, which with those cattle sheets sometimes with the construction. Yeah, no, it's you know, two lane through the area and, and such. But yeah, that's a very primal way. That's part of why, you know, road rage is a problem, but it's also pretty, pri- I mean, it's, a, it's, 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 it's not surprising that we have it because we're, we are living in a primal state there in many ways. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that that, um, yeah. So I, I think that that absolutely we would do well to slow down if we can. I mean, where we can and when we can. Well, it's kind of also save your ammunition. In other words, really, I mean, there's a sense where, I mean, there is. And also, I would say even let's, like, he has a great section in the book, Watch Your Metaphors. So a metaphor like ammunition, we're already in martial mode, right? right like, so in other words, okay, let me take that back. In other words, you don't want to shoot until you see the whites of their <laughs> exactly. eyes. Exactly. Is that better? Yeah. Yeah. But he has a great section where he talks about like watching <laughs> metaphor, how metaphors and myths. And he says, you know, like. Be careful before you pick their daisies. <laughs> he says, you know, like there's, you know, people say like the brain is like a computer. Like that used to be a, pro- a popular simile. And then it becomes a metaphor. The brain is a computer. And then it, all of a sudden it's not even metaphorical. The brain's a computer. Well, the brain's not a computer. I mean, they're different. I mean, they're, it's simile. You have something it's productive. Very metaphor, maybe literarily you have something. But like when it becomes a myth that then becomes reality such right. that you equate the two, right? right? So, I mean, that's kind of the thing where we we use like even a simple thing, which we all use, like savior ammunition or, you know, doing intellectual battle or all these things prejudice the thing as, as sort of adversarial. Right. So there you go. Yeah. But... To I save think- your your most valued interlocutions. <laughs> it's, it's interlocutor. So interlocutor. Yeah. So be careful before you give out your warm fuzzies or your cold pricklies. <laughs> I, I thought still, you were doing British. I, I still cringe when I hear I am her 10th grade health teacher. She was this ancient person, but she went away and got affected. You know, like she went group something. She came back and was always trying to get us to be give warm fuzzies to each other. That didn't go very well. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't <laughs> guess. You're not like, I don't think of... Me as a warm fuzzy. Well, I mean, you're. you're I do. I have given lots of trophies out for participation. (laughs) I like the idea of that. You participated. You got it. You got a trophy. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) No, I I, I do. Again, I think we have to kind of get back to our most basic Christian ethics. You know, on some levels, if we are, if we, uh, and I, I said this in one of my Christmas sermons, I guess it was Advent 4. We shouldn't be surprised that the world is acting badly. We shouldn't act. We shouldn't be surprised that people who are owned by by wealthy donors acted in their interest in the tax plan. We should. That's not really shouldn't be a surprise. You know um, that a allegedly millionaire president. We may never know because we may never see the tax plans. Acted in a way that benefits he and his family. That's actually what people do. We do it on small scales, you know, but we do that. That's called, that's kind of an extension of original sin. Uh, so 
as Christians, the fact that, you know, yes, maybe we're disillusioned and, and yes, we're frustrated. And yes, there's some legitimate concerns about the future. And, and yes, um, some of those vulnerable people in our society are being hurt. But the fact that a secular state, the fact that Rome is acting this way should not be a huge shock to us. Now, the fact that when Rome hides behind saying that it's actually the city of God, then that's cause for a prophetic but response. Can you critique something if you cannot describe the position in a way in a way that the advocate of it would find compelling? I think that's a great exercise. I think that's a very good exercise. In other words, be, be, you have to be able to... <clears throat> You have to give a certain modicum of good faith. Even I, you know, I always even if you even if you're pretty sure they're not acting in good faith, you at least have to say, okay, what is the what was the thinking? I mean, you can't immediately say well, they just were bought off. Okay, what is it that they are? I mean, I'm assuming they all want to be elected again next year, most of them. So, with in terms of the Republican tax plan, I mean, on one level, what they're saying. They may act, some of them may actually believe that. And so you should be able to articulate for instance. And, and what is it? You, I mean, I would guess, right, that the argument would definitely go something like, well, look, that the fact that everybody is getting tax relief, right? Or almost right. everybody, a vast majority of people will get a tax cut. Um, the reason why some are not permanent and others are is because of complex procedural decisions and that are rules that are inherent rules of Congress. Uh, yeah. And yeah. in, in the Senate and reconciliation things. And you brought up an interesting point about George Will. I mean, who you know, who are you taxing when you're taxing corporations? Right, corporation corporate taxes are always complicated, right? Because who, because who's paying the tax? Because and a lot of corporations, it's just passed on to the consumer. Yeah, you, know, you and I are paying the tax that Exxon pays. You and I are paying the tax that AT and T pays. That right, Comcast pays. We're paying this. So I actually think there was a, there's a real need for meaningful you know, meaningful discussion on a whole host of issues in our country, including entitlement reform, because it's it's heading towards a cliff. And so, my, you know, the, the problem is not so much that, and again, I think reasonable people can disagree. <clears throat> the process, there was nothing reasonable about the process. There was nothing open about the process. The whole process was very cynical. But having said that, um, that doesn't have anything too much to do with the gospel reading this week. The gospel reading may speak to it in general terms, but I'm not going to get... Uh, House Bill 504 from the Gospel of Matthew this week. And I think that's that's something that we have to kind of, I think, getting back to uh, Kenneth's, uh, Kenneth's observation, that's something we have, to re- we have to regroup a little bit. We have to refocus. If you feel your calling is primarily p- political, then... Um, then, then do that. You know, I have a person, the closest thing I have as a pastoral mentor is uh, the Reverend Dr. Bill Harder, who I love Bill Harder. He's one of the best people I know in the world, one of the smartest people I know in the world. He and I don't agree on on, on a whole host of things, uh, but I love him dearly. He actually ran for, he was a, a Presbyterian minister in New York, in the Catskill regions of New York, and he got asked to be the Republican candidate for Congress. And he he set aside his job, and he went out and did it. And uh, law, it was a heavily Democratic area. He got the most votes a Republican ever got. Didn't win, but he who's a I mean, he studied under Niebuhr at Union. I mean, he he uh, he's very smart. Got a PhD at Columbia University. Uh, but he is somebody who, even though he's informed politically, he was able to say, you know, if I'm going to be a politician, I can't do this. Or I'm going to be mostly a political activist. I can't do this. And uh, I think that kind of, I mean, we need to have, bring a little more sophisticated thinking and probably create some some important boundaries between, you know, our political feelings. And this, I think this applies to both right and left. Um, and um, I think that's a good, it's a good word. And that could be part of our rhetorical corrective. 
Yeah, I want to. I want to. There's the story that um, Jacobs tells about Leah Labresco. She's um, she grew up on Long Island in a family where atheism was just like what you were, right? right. Like she's religion didn't really rise to the level of plausibility for me to think about denying um, denying it as a major part of my identity any more than UFO skeptic is how anyone would introduce themselves. Um, and that you know was true for her throughout her high school years. Um, uh, in her high school, in, in her high school history class, studying the Reformation, a classmate raised her hand and asked whether there were still any Lutherans. Um, Leah Labresco is now Roman Catholic. Now, how did this happen? She went to the Yale debate. She went to Yale University, and um, she, you know, had these. Her views were largely, um, you know, unchecked. Uh, and she got to know people. I think some of this was from the debating society or the Yale political union. Um, she met Catholic and Orthodox Christians, you know, people that were grounded in older faith. Um, she didn't have any ready refutations of their views, but, um, you know, that wouldn't matter if she, if she, if, if she hadn't made Jacob says what proved to be a fateful decision for her, she joined a debating society, the Yale political union. It's vital to note that Jacobs says that though many people of NYPO had experienced in competitive debate, that's not what the society did. At the end of a debate, no one won and no points were awarded. But in its own way, the society was deeply competitive. When we kept score, we counted in converts. That is what really mattered um, when you won someone over and not to the position you were assigned for the evening, but something you actually believed in. So it's interesting, though, they would ask people, um, members who were interviewed for a leadership position in the YPU would usually be asked, did you ever break someone on the floor? To break on the floor in the society's parlance was to change your mind in the middle of debate, right there in front of everyone. To break someone on the floor was a signal achievement. But, and here is the really essential thing, the candidate would also be asked, so have you ever broken on the floor? And to this question, Labresco says, the correct answer was yes. After all, it wasn't very likely you walked into the YPU with the most accurate pos as possible <laughs> political ethics and meta-ethics. If you hadn't had to jettison some of your ideas several years in, we had our doubts about how honestly and deeply you were engaging in debate. Hmm. Um, James Boswell, in his famous Life of Samuel Johnson, speaks of Johnson's habit of talking for victory. But in the YPU, at least at its best, this would not be a virtue. Hmm. So it seems like if you if you really believe in what you're standing for, then you want to conduct yourself in a way that opens the possibility for the people that you disagree with to be converted to your thinking. Equally so is that you need to be open and minded enough and intellectually have enough intellectual integrity that in the course of standing for your position, if you are shown to be wrong, that you're willing to change your mind. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that and I think that's so hard. You know, he also talks about in the book how C.S. Lewis talks about how basically modernity seems to offer many people like two choices, kind of isolation or membership in an inner ring. And the inner ring is sort of like your, your, your sense of value and connection is based on the fact that people are on the outside of it. And you take all these sort of shibboleths and tribal loyalties to be in the inner ring. Mm -hmm. and, and this, you know, I mean, this is the problem, right? Like an increasingly fractured and tribal society, you want to have a home, right? And that's sort of like the willingness to break on the floor outside of the Yale political union. Most tribes don't like that. No. <laughs> Most tribes would say would, that you've never broken on the floor, yeah. that you've never conceded a point, that you've never wavered on something, that you've never doubled back and realized that you probably clung too hard for too long on a position that was really ill-informed and you probably stuck to it for just some reason that wasn't very reflective. Yeah, if, if you, like Augustine, went back and did a, a retractions on every position you've held and there are no retractions, 
then you probably have neither thought nor prayed properly. Yeah. You know, one of the things, I've mentioned this before in a previous podcast, the movie I, Origin. It's I, the uh, pronoun, Origins. And it's a, it's, a, it's a really interesting little independent movie. And it's about a guy who was doing research on, on the evolution of the I. Because that's kind of one of those arguments against evolution. How would an eye, you know, irreducible being, complexity? Yeah, yeah. And uh, so he was his whole. That was his. That was his research. He was, yeah. Assume some Ivy school that never said Ivy League school never said which one. The story. He falls in love with this kind of mystical woman. Um, I won't go into detail. I don't want to spoil it. But there's a tragedy, and um, I guess you only we are. Cor- or what is it? Our retina is like a fingerprint, right? Yeah, that's why you can scan it. Yeah, right. Like, At any rate, well, he his whole part of his research, he took he would took massive he took pictures of retinas all over the world, and they had a they had a database of, you know, you know, they had people all around the world, and uh, his lover uh, died tragically, and he's going through this database of retina. He finds a perfect match of his lover's retina in a little girl in India. Oh wow. And so he ends up going there, and uh, there's a social worker. Uh, it's an orphanage or something. I don't quite remember all about it. But anyway, so he's having tea with this, you know, with this uh, um, social worker, and she tells him a story. And she says, uh, the Dalai Lama, and I don't know if this st- story is true or not, but the Dalai Lama was once asked, what if a, uh, a scientific fact called in question one of your core beliefs? And the Dalai Lama said, well, I would look at it. I would make sure, you know, I would study it. And if it was true, then I would have to change my belief. And then she turned to the scientists and said, do you have that much intellectual integrity? Yeah, yeah. And I think that's, I think that's maybe, you know, um, I, th- I think humility, we've talked about this before. Humility is the gateway into the kingdom. Humility may be the chief means by which we can receive the grace that we want to be given. And humility in a lot of ways is being able to be content enough in the grace of God to know your limitations and to be have the freedom to be wrong. Yeah. And it often doesn't come without many humiliations. No, no. I mean, but to think this is, I once had a spiritual director said to me, you will make mistakes, your sins, the world, other people will be constantly um, presenting you with humiliations, your own decisions, other people. But the grace of God can always turn humiliation into humility. Yeah, yeah. So that's maybe that would be our prayer for 2018, that, um, that we can have the freedom to have the dynamic humility to receive the greatness what and the goodness of God. What a dangerous prayer to pray for the humiliation that leads to humility. Yeah, yeah. But even so, come. Take it.
forgot and never brought to mind. Should all the queen.